Welcome to Kishwaukee Bible Church. Well, we're in the middle again of um, our series, the story of what we believe walking through the draft of our new doctrinal statement. And before we get going today, I just want to remind you of a few ways that we've invited you, for those who call KBC their home, a few ways that we've invited you to be part of that process. First, and probably most importantly, we've invited your, your feedback We want to know what you're thinking as we go through this this series, and and even particularly as we walk through uh, this story of what we believe, this new draft of our doctrinal statement. We we want you to to give us both your your comments and your questions, Uh, whether that's at the end of a service, a couple elders have been hanging around after all the sermons um, this uh, summer, whether that's after the service or by email afterward. We, we want to know what you're thinking. Um, and we want uh, to know it because this is a fundamental piece of who we are as a church. What we believe and how we communicate that both for ourselves and for anybody looking in from the outside. So we want to know what you think about this new doctrinal statement. We want your feedback, both comments and uh, questions. We want uh, this to be a conversation. We want this to be an opportunity uh, for us to grow together. Second, um, especially for those who are more, more artistically bent, let me just remind you that we've invited you also to be reflecting on some particular aspect of this new statement, some particular aspect of the story of what we believe, uh, by creating through some medium of art uh, uh, something for our churchwide. Uh, art gallery that's going to be, again, on August 26th following the service. We want you to to take time to reflect whether you're 2 or 92 uh, on some particular aspect so that we can be thinking about these things more deeply together. If you're interested in that, uh, there's more information in uh, the blurb in the bulletin. Well, today we're going to focus our attention uh, in this series on the topic of salvation. To do that, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles, if you have one with you today, to Acts chapter 2. This is actually the, the, the same chapter that Jeff was preaching out of last week as he looked at the, the person and work of Jesus, but where Jeff focused his attention on the, the second half of the chapter, we're actually going to focus our attention today on the first half. So again, if you have a Bible with you, open up to, to Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to begin by reading uh, beginning in verse 1. Again, this is from Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is God's word. It says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all gathered, Jesus' followers, in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered. 
because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk as you suppose since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we dive in today to your saving ways, to look at your saving works that you wrought through your saving son. As we dive in to this matter of salvation, we ask that we would not only hear and understand, but understand because it's what we've experienced. That having salvation as our object today, we would be your objects of salvation forever. By the work of your spirit, we would place our faith in your grace and thereby find life as heirs under Jesus, whose name I pray, amen. Well, Catherine and I have some news to share that we found out on our trip back east uh, news that perhaps you'll be as surprised to hear as I was, even though I had something to do with it. We're expecting again, and that seems like a lot. I know some of us here, we, you've really done this more than, than us. You've done this more than five, but five seems like a really high number to us right now. It's the last seat in the car. We don't have any more rooms in the house. We're just wondering how it's going to look. We're expecting again, though. And, and it's got us thinking of all these baby things, baby schedules and baby routines, baby feedings and, and baby changings, baby, baby naps and baby diapers, and just in general, all the stuff that babies need. 
because that's pretty much what a baby is, right? It's just one cute bundle of dependency. And we're preparing ourselves again for that, but we love it, don't we? Don't parent, any parents here, we love it, right? It's kind of, I mean, I'm a numbers guy. I start running the numbers. How much of our budget is this going to take? But we love it, right? Especially the cries. We do. Why? Because every cry is a cry for us. Every cry is a cry that I cannot help myself And I am deeply in need of the help of someone else. I want to talk to you today about salvation along those same lines. Because that's exactly what salvation is. It's the answer to a cry that we cannot help ourselves. That we are deeply in need of the help of someone else. That's what salvation is. The answer to the cry that we cannot help ourselves, that we are deeply in need of the help of someone else. And looking at this portion of Acts, as, as I really focus in again on the grace of God given to, given to those who don't deserve it, but so desperately need it, as we look at this portion in Acts chapter 2, we're going to see this in three places. First, we're going to see it, we see it, if you jump into the text, in what these followers of Jesus are doing on that day, waiting around in an upper room. And if you look back in chapter 1, that they're reading their Bibles and praying, which aren't just a couple of throwaway activities. These are actually the expressions of those who know they are dependent on someone else. And it's not to say that, in the, 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 that there isn't a lot that we've been called to or a lot that they were called to. If you're putting together the chronology in your head, you'll know that, 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 that this snapshot of, of the birth of the church in Acts, this snapshot actually comes after the church had been commissioned, the followers of Jesus had been commissioned to basically take over the world. It's not as if there wasn't a lot to do. It's just that those who were commissioned to do it knew that they couldn't do it on their own. And so here, what are they doing? They're in an upper room, waiting, sitting around, waiting, praying and reading their Bibles. We can't save the world any more than we can save ourselves. So we're constantly, if you're you're part of this faith, we're constantly going back to the Bible to get to know the one that we're dependent on. We're constantly hitting our knees. Why? To beg him to do his work through us. And then follow that up by continuing that work in this world. Because salvation is the other side of dependency. It's the answer to our cry that we cannot help ourselves, that we are deeply in need of the help of someone else. And we see it first in what these followers were doing on that day. We see it second in what God does next. 
It says in verse 2 that suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And then something like divided tongues of fire resting on those present. And, and, and whatever was happening on the outside, whatever that was, however you make sense of that, whatever appeared to be happening, we're told that on the inside, each of these individuals is then filled with the Holy Spirit. Filled with God's very presence. Why? Well, at least in one sense, it's because, again, these followers couldn't do what they were commissioned to do without God doing it through them. They couldn't save the world, let alone save themselves. God had to save them, and then God was going to save the world through them. Isn't that amazing? That's how big God is. He does through us what we can't do ourselves. He does it for us and then does it for others through us. So empowered by God's spirit, each begins in this passage to speak other tongues, other languages, not for nothing, but because this is God's way of doing God's thing through God's people. Not that, that he's continuing to do things today in this way. We can talk about that later. We talk about that later, right? But this was God at that time doing God's thing through God's people. It's him saving his people so that he can save others through them. So filled with God's spirit, they proclaim God's works. And at least that day, they do it in front of a bunch of foreigners who happened to be in Jerusalem for one of the the Jewish festivals, one of the harvest festivals, coming in after the the wheat harvest, before the barley harvest. They do it in front of a, a bunch of foreigners. And yet as they're speaking, these backwater Galileans, everyone gathered there is hearing what they're saying in their own languages, without the accent. And it's baffling to them. And just look at the list, verse 9. Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia. It sounds like a a Star Wars gathering at the Mos Eisley Cantina. It's ridiculous. Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the, the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene. And visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, they say, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. Which is interesting, isn't it? That last part. That here, right? Right when God is saving God's people, bringing them back to himself from all over the known world, taking the work of Jesus and driving it into their hearts. That God's doing it through the proclamation of God's saving works. That's interesting. Stop. Think about that for a second. That God saves through the proclamation of God's saving works. That he does again what he's been doing all along by recounting what he's been doing all along. What better way could you come up with to just give absolute honor to God? 
if he's going to save by proclaiming that he's the one that saves. And that he's been doing it today as he's been doing it forever. Which means you don't need to go looking for some new way to win your neighbor to Jesus. Which means we don't got to go looking for a new way to do church. At least when it comes to, to what we say, how we speak, what comes out of our mouths, all you got to do is tell the story. All you got to do is what Don's been doing in his, in his carpet cleaning business. Every opportunity you get sharing the story of Jesus. All we got to do is tell the old, old story. Or just tell the old, old story of all things he has done. Of Jesus and his glory. Of Jesus and his love. Because we love to tell the story. And all he's done for me. How he's been our satisfaction like nothing else can be. Because salvation is an answer to the cry that we cannot help ourselves, that we're deeply in need of, at every point, without exception, the help of someone else. You know, on our um, trip back east, we, we listened to a lot of audiobooks. We, we, for most of the time, had headphones on at least the three oldest kids. It was a very easy trip. Eventually, everybody got sick of the headphones, and we started listening to some books um, together as a family. One of the books we listened to was uh, a book called The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. Anybody read it? The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. It's the story of a China rabbit, a China, the material that it's made out of, not where it came from. Emmett is always asking why everything is made in China these days. I don't know if Edward Tulane, I think he was made in Paris, actually. But the story of this China rabbit who is lost at a trip to sea. And the story is about, as it describes at the end of the book, one so marvelous once, how that rabbit found his way home. But being a China rabbit, who we're told can do very little for himself, This story about his miraculous journey home is also essentially a story about this China rabbit over and over and over again being saved. Being picked up and fixed up and carried along, mended and remade new. All by someone other than himself. I couldn't help thinking while listening to that story that the tale is not too different from our own. Because salvation is an answer to the cry that we cannot help ourselves. That we are deeply in need of the help of someone else and that that someone is God himself. We see it first in what the disciples are are doing that day. We see it second in in what God does next. And and we see it third in the explanation that follows. 
When the disciples start speaking and everyone around them starts listening and realizes that, that what they're hearing, they're hearing, they're hearing what's being said in their own languages. We're, we're told in verse 12, if you want to look down, that there's basically two reactions. That all were amazed and perplexed, for, for these were Galileans, backwater fishermen. And no one knew how these Galileans got a hold of Rosetta Stone. But that, that, that some, mockingly, uh, beyond that, said they are filled with new wine. They're drunk. Which elicits, alongside the cacophony of voices already going at that time, this explanation. Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. They're not drunk. Rather, this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And listen to these words. And in the last days, Joel says, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. In a time when none of that was happening. It says, even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter says, what Joel was looking forward to, six or seven or eight or nine hundred years before this, you're witnessing today. God speaking through God's people in a unique way in that setting. But nonetheless, God speaking through God's people. Why? That everyone who calls on the name of the Lord might be saved. What Joel looked forward to, you're witnessing today. But it's important. It's important that this isn't just a Joel thing. This isn't just a Joel thing, as if it was just some prediction made by some guy that someday some backwater fisherman would start recounting some of what God had done in the past and that that would somehow justify, validate what they were saying. This isn't just some prediction. Check it off the list. There you go. It's not just a Joel thing. And I don't think Peter meant it to be either. But rather, it was something expected, something anticipated, something foreseen and foreshadowed since the very beginning of the story. First, that someday God's people would speak on God's behalf and and even language itself would no longer be a barrier. It's the turning back of the clock for those who who know the the, the account on, on what happened in a place called Babel. It's the turning back because it ain't just a Joel thing. 
It stretches much further into the annals of history. First, that God's people would speak on God's behalf. And second, that someday all who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? All who call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you don't understand it, it's one of these things that that can really easily turn into a sort of magic spell. Our sort of holy version of hocus pocus. All who who call on the, the name of the Lord shall be saved. Car breaks down. Call on the name of the Lord. The bank account drops. Call on the name of the Lord. Your girlfriend dumps you. Or your boyfriend, even worse. Call on the name of the Lord. As if, as if Jesus help me is our version of some, some witch's craft. As if the name itself, not the person behind it, is where the power's at. But the truth is much more significant than that. See, this phrase, to call on the name of the Lord, beginning with Judaism and into Christianity, actually became a tagline for throwing yourself at the mercy of God to cry out, in effect, that you cannot help yourself, that you're deeply in need of the help of someone else, and that that someone is God. It's how a man named Ananias describes those who put their trust in Jesus and then how he calls a man named Paul to put his trust in Jesus as well. It's how Paul then describes followers of Jesus as well. It's what the writer of Lamentation does from the pit. It's what Elijah does from Mount Carmel. It's what the psalmist does in Psalm 116 when he says, I call on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul. It's what David does before the ark, making known God's deeds among the people. It's what Isaac does. And what Abraham does before him. But I wonder if you knew, know where it all began. Where do we find, where do we first read in the Bible of someone calling on the name of the Lord? It's way back in Genesis chapter 4. That's where we read of the, the effects of the fall. That's what that chapter's all about. Of Cain killing Abel and of Cain's bloodline summarized in a man whose revenge was 77-fold who tells his two wives, I'll kill someone for wounding me. Maybe the type of man you don't mind sharing with another woman. And yet after the death of Abel, we're told in in verse 25 that, that Adam knew his wife again and that Eve bore a son named Seth because we're told God had appointed, sounds like Seth in Hebrew, God had appointed another offspring in Abel's place. And when Seth has a son of his own, we're told that at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. 
Because that's all we're left with when we experience the full effects of this broken world, when we experience the full effects of the fall, when it's all worked out and all we're doing is like Cain going around killing each other. We cannot help ourselves. We're in deep need of the help of someone else. All we can do is call on the name of the Lord to do what we can. To do what we can't. That God would secure the way back. That God would grant us life through his spirit. That God so loved the world in Jesus. And by his spirit takes the work of Jesus and drives it into our hearts. That by grace we would turn back to him and trust in the cross and through faith be united in Christ, made members of his body and sealed as heirs of his family. And these are the sorts of things God's grace at work in the lives of those who don't deserve it, these are the sorts of things that we've tried to capture in our summary of salvation in this draft of our new doctrinal statement. I'd invite you even today, when you go home, to reflect on this together, to ask, what else is there? It goes deep. You can't mention everything. But this is the heart of our faith, that we are saved, that we don't deserve it, by a God whose grace extends to us who cannot help ourselves. But you know what is so infinitely encouraging? God's answer to our cries was already on the table before anybody began crying out. In fact, that's probably why people started crying out in the first place. It's a really, really interesting theological point. Grace precedes faith. Always. God's answer was already on the table. See, there's a reason they started crying out when Seth started having kids of his own. And you know why? Because people had been waiting for a kid ever since a promise God made back in Genesis 3. They'd been waiting for a child, an offspring. And they presumably, at that point, when Seth was born, Cain really, he really, he really disqualified himself from that role when he killed Abel. This guy's probably not going to be the one to put things back on track. But Seth, here's another offspring. It's what Eve says, right? Here's another offspring, another chance. Maybe this is the one. But when Seth starts having kids of his own, think people started to realize that maybe the one they were waiting for, they'd have to wait for a little longer. And yet, they cry out. They call on the name of the Lord because grace has already been offered. And it's no different for us. Bible's already sitting there in your big rig when you finally are there calling on the name of the Lord. 
Where was it for you? The cries of your heart that you cannot help yourself. That you're deeply in need of the help of someone else and that someone else is God. That you cry out only to find out that the answer was already on the table. I don't know where you are, what this week looked like, what you're struggling with, what you're going through, what you facing, you're facing today or faced yesterday. I don't know what it is. But I can tell you one thing. You can walk away today knowing that the answer is already on the table. And we've seen it even more so in the person of Jesus. Because God is a God who saves. And salvation is the answer. The answer to our cries for help before we even get to crying them. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask um, today that each of us would leave here encouraged. Encouraged that no matter where we are, no matter where we've come from, no matter what we're going through or have gone through in the past, no matter what we're facing or have faced before, that no matter the, the cries of our hearts, the promise that you've already given of an answer long preceded them. That while we can't help ourselves and are deeply in need of the help of someone else, that 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 someone else is you. That you've done it in Jesus. And now you're doing it through His Spirit. I pray you would continue to do it through us, your people. In Jesus' name, amen. One of the books, um, one of the books that I was reading on our vacation uh, when I found a moment was a book uh, set in the, uh, the 1600s during the, the Scientific Revolution. It was a biography of Isaac uh, Newton. Isaac Newton. Yeah, John. Yeah, Isaac Newton. Um, Sir Isaac Newton, uh, talking about his place in that scientific revolution. The significance of a man who stepped in to a time when they were trying to put mathematical equations to scientific phenomena. And just how amazing it was to progress through that process, discovering the mind of God written into creation. Why? All because God had been doing what God had been doing since the very beginning. Science works that way. That's why you can do science, because God works in in ways that you can predict and and see and, and trace back. And it's not at all different for what he's been doing from the very beginning to save us from ourselves. By grace, through faith, through the power of His Spirit and the work of His Son. So now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling, to to take the work of Jesus and drive it into our hearts, 
to present us blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory and majesty, dominion and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Thank you for joining us. For more information about our church, please visit our church's website at kishbible.org. That's K-I-S-H-Bible dot O-R-G.